a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to today's program, Among Guan in Beijing. Anniversaries are usually happy occasions, but this time we have a tragic exception. On the first anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, there's still no sign of peace and no sign in sight about the sufferings that reverberate around the globe. Why have peace negotiations failed? Is U.S. President Joe Biden's surprise visit to Ukraine a solution or an escalation of the problem? And what is China doing to stop the flames of war? We look at the long-haul Ukraine crisis with our guests in Beijing today. Joining me in the studio is Einar Tengen, current affairs commentator and senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. Also, Victor Kaljukai, chair professor of Suzhou University. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Uh, Victor, let's start with Wang Yi's meeting with Vladimir Putin taking place yesterday. Wang Yi said bilateral relations between China and Russia are quote-unquote rock solid and the two countries stand together in opposing unilateralism and opposing bullying. He further added that there's an opportunity in a crisis. China believes in a political solution to the Ukraine crisis and will continue to play a constructive role in the Ukraine crisis. Uh, what do you make of uh, China's position in the ongoing um, Ukraine crisis now that we're marking the one-year anniversary? First of all, the first anniversary is coming very soon, and uh, uh, China-Russian relations have uh, stood the test of time. And I think the meeting between Wang Yi and uh, President Putin and uh, Ravrov uh, on the Russian side demonstrated the mutual commitment to solidarity, cooperation, good neighborliness, and friendship between China and Russia. I would say China-Russia friendship and cooperation is a cornerstone of global peace and stability. Not only now, but going forward, nothing can change the nature of China-Russia cooperation and friendship. Yeah, Victor, you appear on the Western uh, news media all the time. Uh, they accuse China of uh, not pressuring Russia enough. Uh, they're even accusing China of providing, quote-unquote, lethal assistance to Russia to escalate the situation in Ukraine. What would be your response? Well, in essence, the war in Ukraine is no longer between Russia and uh, Ukraine. The war, in essence, is between Russia on the one hand and the United States and NATO using Ukraine as a proxy. This is a new type of war. The United States has come up with this new proxy war concept. They want to use other country, other people, as proxy to fight against their geopolitical rivals. But Einer, uh, the United States is no stranger to proxy wars, right? Uh, going back to the 50s and 60s, of course, they sent their um, the operatives to Latin American countries to subvert regimes they don't like. But later on, uh, oftentimes into the 2000s, we've seen uh, orange revolutions or uh, whatever color revolutions that um, they were behind in Central Asia and in Eurasia. Yeah, the National Endowment for Democracy has a mandate and is supported by the U.S. government. They were basically the Dirty Tricks uh, regime change group that was created uh, during um, Reagan's term when he got caught doing arms for uh, oil uh, in, in the Iran-Contra uh, yeah. scandal. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, have to, you don't have to look back. It's ongoing. Uh, he eventually owned up to it, I mean, unwillingly on a television well, he, interview. Well, he sort of owned up sort to of. it, but he didn't admit to the okay. illegal activity that was involved. He had uh, Ollie North, uh, who was, uh, say that, oh, he did it all himself, a kind of a stretch of imagination. Uh, he was willing to fall on his sword for uh, his commander-in-chief. Uh, but we all understand that this was going straight to the White House. But, you know, Yemen right now, uh, areas... Uh, 
Syria. I mean, it's going on yeah. right now, so I, I don't think this is anything new. 81% of all of the conflicts in the world, all right, since World War II, have featured the United States, either directly or indirectly. So it's not a, the U.S. is not a country that uh, can say that it's uh, enforcing peace. Yeah, Einer, um, what's your rating on Wang Yi's meeting with Vladimir Putin and really China's role throughout this Ukraine conflict? Well, you know, China's never been uh, comfortable with what happened uh, between uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia. Ukraine was a, a very uh, staunch ally. It was a big trade partner. It was also the route by which the Belt and Road Initiative uh, had an alternate to going yeah. to Russia. So, you know, China was not happy about it. Even on the verge of the, um, you know, the conflict beginning, uh, most of the Chinese people, uh, high level, said, no, Russia won't do this. This is a, this is a line. Uh, it actually happened. So at this juncture, China's interest is in peace. And what they're doing is, quite frankly, they're giving um, Vladimir Putin a heads up, trying to get him comfortable with what is going to become a proposal. I imagine it's going to be something along the Minsk agreements. Uh, there was one and two. Uh, they were basically thrown aside. Um, they were used, uh, you know, there was a, a European EU guy who said, oh yeah, you know, that was just a subterfuge. We were just buying time. Uh, mm. in order to uh, get Ukraine ready. So this idea that somehow, you know, uh, all of this was leading to peace to begin with is not there. The U.S. has been promoting a war. They are arming uh, the Ukrainians. It is a proxy war. It's aimed at two areas. One is weakening Russia, uh, because they, they knew if they went into Ukraine that there would be a war with uh, Russia, a conflict. Uh, but it's also having a direct impact on the EU which is now in a situation where its, its economy has been eviscerated. The Fed rate increases are killing it because they have to match it. And, you know, the reply from the U.S. is, yeah, we know we're causing you trouble, but it's America first, so you're on your own. I think China sees an opportunity to uh, say to Europe, look, we're on your side. We want peace. We have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Going to Moscow is a courtesy call uh, to uh, uh, Putin. Uh, saying, look, we want to propose something. Let's see if we can get this done. Yeah, it is a complex situation. Talking about a peaceful solution or potential political settlement, Victor, four rounds of negotiations have taken place. They all, unfortunately, have broken down. Uh, the UN Secretary General Guterres said, and I quote, I do not see an end of the war in the immediate future. Um, what are the sticking points? Well, first of all, I think uh, we will mark the first anniversary of the Ukrainian war tomorrow. However, I think it is really time for the world to think about the 100th anniversary of the Ukrainian war to 21-22. So I think there are two extreme possibilities. One is that by 21-22, Ukraine will be one of the wealthiest countries in Europe, if not in the world, on certain conditions. But there is a worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is that by 21-22, there will be no world, because something must have happened in between. Now you see uh, Russia is uh, suspending this uh, uh, the start. Uh, START treaty, for example. They are talking about uh, they have to use something unconventional if they are defeated on the battleground, for example. And then President Putin basically pinpointed that the West wants to lead to final Russian defeat. And then uh, President Putin also says it's impossible to defeat Russia in a war. Therefore, I think there are more and more ingredients leading towards the verge of an unconventional war. 
And while we all want to save Ukraine, that's for sure, we want to save the world at the same time. No one should play with the fire to pour more fuel onto the fire in Ukraine, taking the risk that it will uh, flare up into an Armageddon. So I think we need to think about not only the immediate goals, the um, medium goal, but also the long-term goal. This is the first time that the United States and Russia, both very large nuclear powers, are staring each other into the eyes with nuclear weapons in both hands. This really bears upon the survival of human species. This is no longer child's play. Europe, wake up. The world, wake up. We need to end the war as quickly as possible. Well, there's a very dire warning. Yeah, I, but, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis was another uh, uh, staring across the... But abyss. Victor does have a point. He's mm -hmm. pointing out that uh, the START Treaty, the arms, Nuclear Arms Reduction Treaty, was an important one, breached between Moscow and Washington. And now that uh, Russia is pulling itself out of it, although the Russian Foreign Ministry said that it is uh, reversible. Yeah, it is reversible, but the problem is trust. And uh, right now, the, you know, people don't trust their governments, governments don't trust other governments. And uh, you know, once you take away something like START, which took so many years to put together, uh, there was so much energy that was put into it. You know, you can say no to it in a blink of an eye. It's just like the U.S. saying no to the uh, Kyoto and then the Paris Accords and then the, the, uh, the, Iran, the Iranian nuclear deal. It's easy to say no. It's easy to junk things, but it's very hard to build them. So at this juncture, uh, if we want to avoid the Armageddon that uh, Victor is talking about, mm -hmm. we have to restore some sort of trust. There has to be an international community and a sense of global values. And I think China is trying to put that into um, you know, the public debate uh, with its global security initiative and its global development initiative. But the, uh, the issue is, is anybody listening, especially in Washington? But don't we see a, a hollowing out of the United Nations-led system? I mean, after all, it's the nation state, it's the national governments, national militaries who are calling the shot, right? Um, when it comes to the, the, the arms treaty, the nuclear uh, arms start treaty, uh, when it comes to the breaching of, uh, you know, unilaterally pulling out of deals such as the Iran nuclear deal or, or start treaty. After all, we're seeing once again that um, a somewhat failure of the UN-led system. I see that in a different way. Many people complain about inefficiency of the United Nations system. However, they forget that the United Nations is designed exactly to achieve this purpose. That is to avoid a major war between the five permanent member states of the United Nations Security Council. In that sense, I think the UN system worked. Because otherwise, if you have a one-sided world, then you are talking about an easier access to the war involving nuclear weapons. Now, up to today, there is no immediate danger of escalation into nuclear war because of the checkmated status of the Security Council of the United Nations. Just imagine if, for example, the United Nations now completely endorses the position of the United States and the Western countries, and they put maximum pressure on Russia, for example, what will be the result? It will lead directly to Armageddon. That's why I think the even efficiency of the UN system is deplorable, but it actually served the original purpose of making sure 
no major war breaks out among the five permanent member states of the Security Council of the United Nations. Well, I, I think that's a little outmoded. The five uh, the groups that are on the Security Council are no longer the global powers that have to be dealt with. So I, I would disagree. I mean, slightly. Germany was not in, and uh, Brazil was not in. For yeah, example. but I mean, uh, France. Who are they going to go to war with? Come on, let, 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 let's be serious. It's outmoded. It needs change, desperately needs change. It has not. It's a, basically a fixture from post-World War II. And it, it doesn't, I mean, India, large country, Brazil, not in there. I mean, where are the BRICs? These are the countries that are expanding if you start looking at the economic activity. And I'm, I'm not saying we don't, shouldn't have the UN. I'm saying the UN is being prevented from fulfilling its function by the very entity that pushed to create it, the hmm. United States. So. Uh, you know, this idea that it's functioning, no. Um, yes, it prevents things from happening, but it's not very good at, at getting yeah. them to do it, despite very nice words and things. Interesting, yeah. it's China who's supporting the idea of an international framework yeah. while the U.S. is trying to tear it down. Yeah. I want to remind our viewers that, uh, once again, we're talking about the first anniversary, the unfortunate and tragic anniversary of the Ukraine conflict, uh, the war between Moscow and uh, Kyiv, which is quickly escalating into a proxy conflict, as many experts believe. Um, talking about the anniversary, Einer Wang Yi said at the Munich Security Conference not so long ago that some forces do not want the Ukraine-Russia peace talks to succeed. Uh, who would you assess these forces to be? Okay. I mean, specifically, this of course, a, This is a big secret. Surprise, surprise. United Martin. States, United States, Specifically, United um, States. how do you explain to us this process? I mean, how the con contractors in D.C. along the Beltway uh, can really lobby the Biden administration, can really lobby the Congress and the government um, to keep the war going. Well, the military-industrial complex, I mean, they, the, the Pentagon is having a field day. They're able to clear out a lot of inventory that they weren't using or in, to, in order to demand new toys because, quote, the world is, is in disarray. We need to be stronger. I mean, the, the largest military budget in the world that dwarfs the next nine, okay, uh, is now poised to say we need more. We need more ammunition. We need to ramp up production. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're pushing this along. But th this is... This is complete nonsense. How strong is the anti-war protest in the United States, as was often the case during the Iraq War, of course, the, the Vietnam War, which was so long ago, but uh, there seem to be recent waves of anti-war protests yeah, but, whenever war happens in the United States. Well, yeah, that happens when there are body bags of young uh, American soldiers <clears throat> coming back overseas. But, you know, they're not doing that. Uh, they've decided that uh, the American uh, populace has no appetite for seeing young Americans dead. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they can be convinced to fight to the last man with other people's lives. And that's, in essence, what they're doing with Ukraine. It, it is a cynical proxy war that uh, achieves U.S. goals by uh, pushing Europe away from Russia for energy and food, pulling it towards the U.S. because we have bountiful uh, energy and food. We want to sell them our LNG. Um, and at the same time, it's weakening Russia. So at this juncture, it's the U.S. that is uh, benefiting from a very bad situation. And you know, at some point, Europe is going to have to decide whether or not they have been played, whether this whole thing was uh, put in motion not to help Europe, not to defend Europe, but to weaken it because it was the only um, true competitor to the United States. Yeah. Joe Biden just uh, made a surprise visit to Ukraine and on his surprise to Kyiv on Monday, President Biden announced another 500 million U.S. dollars military aid for Ukraine and said Russia will not win the Ukraine war 
Um, and also the White House warned that more sanctions will be announced. Obviously, this could be another uh, maximum pressure campaign against uh, Russia. Uh, how do you interpret Biden's policy, Victor? Well, first of all, I see a lot of irony in the fact that the United States actually secretly communicated with Moscow about Biden's uh, trip to uh, Kiev. This is truly a slap in the face of the Ukrainian government because the Ukrainians thought that the United States are fully on their side. Well, at the time, the reality is that Washington has a secret channels of communication. They talk to Moscow, etc. Uh, therefore, I would say the fact that Washington communicated to Moscow uh, asking for a special arrangement. Moscow agreed and there was no bombing either of the train or on ah. the meeting site, for example, in Kiev, indicated that both the largest nuclear powers in the world still care about communicating directly with each other, despite of the war in Ukraine. That's why I think it illustrates in greater uh, eloquence that the proxy war is the true nature of the war in Ukraine. No Ukrainian should be uh, fooled by the fact that they are defending democracy. No, they are working for the specific geopolitical objectives of the United States and NATO member states. They are being used as proxies. They are being used as instruments. And if they lost their, if they continue to lose their lives, etc., what would be the future of the Ukrainian people? It is time for the Ukrainians to really wake up that they are no longer tools. They need to really be friends with all with and be enemies with none. Russia will always be there. How can you expect that you will have eternal hatred between Russia and the Ukraines, for example? It's impossible. You need to be friends with everyone around you, and you need to be fall with no one in your neighborhood. That's the wisest thing that the Ukrainian government and the people need to listen to. Stop the war and restore peace. Well, I, I agree with a, a lot of things you said, Victor, but I don't agree about the communication uh, between Washington and Moscow. It's simply they did not want an inadvertent bombing and killing of a U.S. president, which would have precipitated a nuclear war situation. So I, I think that's just uh, uh, pragmatic uh, safety issues. But in terms of everything else, proxy war and the need for Ukraine to realize that its position as a neighbor of Russia is not going to go away. I mean, you've seen instances where um, many, for, for example, former Yugoslavia countries, um, <clears throat> they're not particularly picking sides, right? Recently, I went to Montenegro, for example. Uh, they want to be friends with the European Union, and they also want to be friends with the United States and with China. I mean, they don't necessarily want to pick and choose. No, why should they? I mean, there's no absolute benefit to them. They, it's, they have the same problem. They're neighbors with Russia. I mean, the U.S. is a, a big concern. They, they simply want to get on with their economic side. They don't want to be pulled into a war that has no, no end in sight at this point. I mean, right now, the only one actively pushing a peace plan is China, and it's being vilified. I mean, the, you know, every uh, headline you read, whether it's CNN, whatever, it's like, oh, Ch you know, China is, is arming Russia, standing behind Russia, simply because it's checking out whether uh, Russia would be amenable to something that they're going to be proposing. So you already see the war machine uh, via the media and the government uh, pushing this kind of fear and hatred uh, that is part of the problem. You're not going to build trust when you're vilifying people. Yeah, I mean, what could be the prospect of a peace process, Victor, uh, not that um, there's no end in sight to the current conflict? Peace for Ukraine will not be easy. 
it will not be straightforward. It will be actually very difficult, very challenging, very arduous to start with. However, we should never give up on peace, and we should never agitate for more war or continued war in Ukraine. War is a dead end. So let's get the priorities right. The U.S. and Russia need to talk, and China is willing to be the intermediary. We want to do the good offices. We want to promote this negotiation, diplomacy, framework for everyone to participate with the aim of ending the war and restoring peace for Ukraine. Yeah, I, I, Victor, I, I think everything you said is wonderful, but it, what we have to get down to is how you can get this done. And quite frankly, uh, Russia doesn't want to give up uh, areas uh, that it is, has taken. Uh, Ukraine can't sit at the table and give away land that they think is theirs. You know, it, it, returning to the Minsk agreements, which in essence would set up a very strong constitution that would make it impossible for you know, any part of Ukraine to suddenly go towards uh, Russia or towards the EU or towards the US, basically a federated uh, group of provinces. Um, and then you know, perhaps you can create a unified Ukraine and also agree that there's gonna be a large buffer zone on both sides. Um, so you don't have Russian troops and missiles facing off against NATO troops and missiles and an agreement that NATO needs to stop I mean, this is the issue. Why is NATO pushing these things? They, they always try to justify it off the fact when they create a situation where they push somebody into conflict, then they say, see, we told you. They're, they're dangerous. And this is exactly what seems to be happening in Asia. Yeah, China. I know in Chinese we say a, a thousand miles starts with a, a first a single step. Uh, what should be this first step in you know, reaching a, a peace process instead of you know, getting the problem into a chicken-egg problem, a blame game, and uh, you know, an escalation uh, to no end in sight? Well, I, I think uh, it may eventually involve several things. One is to declare a ceasefire, then to delineate a line of actual control, and then Russia and Ukraine have completely different claims, for example, then the differences could be shelved for future generation to be resolved. So, I think this is the time for wisdom and vision and courage for both sides. But bring the war to an end, creating ceasefire, draw a line of actual control, and then promising not to move beyond the line of pro, uh, actual control, and then shelving the territorial disputes for the immediate uh, present for future resolution. I think this should be the parameter. I think this is very a strategic ambiguity to some yeah, extent. Yeah, but it, but it, it didn't it didn't decision. work. I mean, I think Vladimir Putin will put up with that idea. No, or it, it, look, Zelensky. No, why why would he? I mean, from Putin's point of view, everything you just said was in the Minsk one and Minsk two agreements, and this is eight nine years ago. All right, and it wasn't uh, adhered to. And in fact, the Europeans and American strategists said, yeah, we were just buying time. All right. So this is the issue. Trust has been broken. I think what it has to start is a, a number of principles. And, and China is convinced that the involatility of, of nations, that you, know, you, you should not be dividing them. This should not be an opportunity for, for instance, Poland to grab a chunk of Ukraine because Ukraine's weak. Um, the, the boundaries are set. There's got to be a way to work within them so that you can maintain an international, because how Ukraine is settled is going to set a template for future conflicts that are still simmering around there. 
So you, you have to do it with a picture on the longer things. This idea of returning, of being something like North and South Korea, uh, that hasn't worked out well. But, but what do you think uh, would be the first step in? First set is a set of principles that says that the nations, the borders of nations should be involatile. That there has to be a peace solution that respects the borders, the real inter recognized international borders, no separatism, uh, et cetera. And that from that point of view, you then go forward and try to figure out a way. They did that in Minsk 1 and 2, where they said that they would have a federated uh, Ukrainian nation, but it would take a supermajority or all of them to agree on any kind of moves in terms of military alliances and uh, also uh, the issue of having uh, NATO involved. But which party do you see playing a leading role in mediating uh, a peace it's, process? It's got to be somebody in between, and it's not just China. There has to be an international consortium of powers who gather around and say to, to these two warring entities, sit down at the table, because we're, it's not whether we're for you or against you, but we're against war. And at this juncture, you need to settle these differences in a way that is acceptable to you and the world. Well, I think uh, uh, while it is difficult, almost impossible, I think it is worthwhile to pursue. Because don't wait until a nuclear bomb is detonated. And then mankind scrambles, because there will be no easy exit for mankind as a whole. And between now and that disaster, you do not have eternity in between. You only have very limited and very narrow window. But Victor, don't you think that things are, are now a little more difficult given the complicated U.S.-China relations, uh, which previously we thought uh, people have put a floor on the relations until recently Washington played up this Bloom incident, which could potentially make uh, the uh, peace process or the mediation process towards the Ukraine war even more complicated. Between China and the United States, I don't think they are destined for war. And I do believe there is this uh, inevitability of peace between China and the United States because both are nuclear weapons armed to the teeth, both are not beyond reach of the other side, both have mapped and observed every inch of the land in the other country. And if a war breaks out, if it escalates, both China and the United States might be destroyed. So what's the fun for the Americans or for the Chinese? We are destined to be getting along with each other despite of our differences. Therefore, despite of all the jingoism and war agitation in Washington, I truly believe decision makers in Washington do not want to put the risks of the American people at stake and try to instigate a war. I believe war is not an option between China and the United States. Eventually, we need to get along with each other. We need to really get focused on peace and development. That gives hope for ending the war in Ukraine in the right way. Exactly. Victor, thank you so much, Einer. Thank you, as always. And that would do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. I'll see you again soon.